This uh, summer I've been watching some of the documentaries, some of the interviews with the astronauts as we celebrate the 50th anniversary of putting a man on the moon. And one of those interviews was a replay of a conversation that occurred way back in the early 1970s because you remember there were six different Apollo flights that ended up on the moon all the way from July of 1969 with Apollo 11 to December of 1972 with Apollo 17. Six different times we actually put some people on the moon. And after one of those successful landings, there was a reporter talking to the astronauts and he asked, what is the most important thing? I mean, the one thing that stands out above all the rest, what is the single most important thing about traveling in space? And immediately the lead astronaut responded, you gotta bring your own atmosphere with you. I mean, you just think about it, we were made to live on this planet in this atmosphere. So there's no way you can survive on the moon or Mars or any other world out there unless you bring some of this atmosphere with you. It's the secret to traveling in space. I love that answer because that's not only true physically, that's also true spiritually. You know, we were made in the image of God and we were designed by God to live in a particular kind of atmosphere, a paradise, Garden of Eden. I mean, when God made Adam, he didn't just put him anywhere on this planet. No. Genesis chapter 2, verse 8, after he's formed Adam, the Bible says, and God put him. You see the intentional action? God put him there in a specific spot, in a place that was specifically designed for him. So you begin to think about the implications of that, and you realize it was never a part of God's plan for us to live in a world that is polluted by sin. I mean, spiritually, it's hard to breathe, it's hard to live, it's hard to survive in an environment like that because we're living in something we were not made for. It, it, we're made to live in an atmosphere that, that God designed for us, which means if we're going to make it in a world which right now is covered with sin and corrupted by sin, we've got to stay connected to God. Every day we've got to be inviting God to breathe His life, His truth, His love into our soul. Or look at this another way. Here's another way this, the Bible teaches that very same lesson. Genesis chapter 1, the Bible tells a story of how God made the world, and we notice a pattern. First five days, there's a certain rhythm to everything God does. God said, let there be light, and it was so. And God saw that the light was good, and so there was evening and morning the first day. And then you come to day two and day three, and you see the same kind of language. And God said, let there be space between the water above and the waters below. And let the waters below be gathered to certain specific places so the dry ground can appear. And it was so. And God looked at the sky and God looked at the land and he saw that it was all good. And so there was evening and morning a second day and there was evening and morning a third day. And on and on it goes. God speaks, something brand new appears. He carefully examines it. He sees that it's good. It's everything it's supposed to be. And another day comes to an end. And on and on it goes. Same pattern through the first five days. But then you come to day six and there's a break in the action. The routine gets interrupted. God does something he hasn't done before. After he creates Adam and Eve, he stops and he talks to them. Didn't do that with the trees. Didn't do that with the birds. Didn't do that with the animals. I mean, once he makes them, he just kind of turns them loose so they can do their thing. But Adam and Eve are not given that kind of permission. Before he turns them loose, God needs to talk to them. They need some instruction. And we're thinking to ourselves, why? They're perfect people living in a perfect world. Isn't everything going to be okay? No, not unless they listen to God first. Because even in a perfect world, we're still not going to be able to figure everything out on our own. Even in a perfect world, we still 
need guidance. Nothing else in all creation needs this kind of help, but we do. And the reason why we need this help is not because we're sinners. God stopped to talk to Adam and Eve long before sin entered the world. No, we need this help because we're human beings. It's the way we're made. We're not made to do life on our own. Even when everything's good and life is sweet and everything's wonderful, we still need this guidance, this counsel, this, in, this instruction from the Lord. I mean, so that means if we're not constantly turning to God for help, not just in the bad times, but if we're not just constantly turning to God for help, even in the good times, we're going to get ourselves into all kinds of trouble. Now, I think that's the reason behind the prayer the Apostle Paul is praying here in the scripture we're going to study today. This, this prayer that we find in Philippians chapter 1, verses 9, 10, 11. Paul starts off the prayer this way. He says, may your love, your love for God, your love for one another, may that love just abound more and more. And right away we think, whoa, wait a minute. Why does he need to pray this for the Philippians? Because this is what they're already doing. Here's the one church that's always showing the Apostle Paul this kind of love. See, the kind of love that he's describing here, a love that abounds more and more. Here's the picture behind that phrase. I mean, if we were to put this in modern day terms, think of a bottle, a bottle of soda pop, and you shake it up, and then you take the lid off, and what happens? It explodes. It comes spraying out in all directions. That's the kind of love the Apostle Paul's praying for. A love that is so rich, so lavish, you can't keep it inside. Like a volcano, it just comes pouring out, flooding everybody around you with compassion and concern. Well, that's exactly the kind of help the Christians in the town of Philippi have been given to the Apostle Paul. No other church has been so faithful, so generous in their gifts to Paul and their emotional support of him. And they did that not just when he was in the town of Philippi. They did it again when he was in the city of Thessalonica, when he was planting a church in the city of Corinth, when he was locked up in a prison in the city of Rome, when he's collecting an offering for the mother church back there at Jerusalem. It's the church of Philippi that's always his number one supporter. I mean, for the past 12 years, their love for Paul, their investment in his ministry has always gone above and beyond anything anybody would have expected. Their love for Paul has abounded more and more. So why does Paul need to be praying this prayer for him? Well, you know the answer to this question. What happens to your marriage when you're no longer investing in the relationship, when you begin to just let things coast and you start to take things for granted? It's not long before that relationship becomes boring and stale and lifeless. I mean, two years ago, your love for each other was like a fountain. It was just bubbling over with energy and excitement. But then you began to think, hey, why do we have to keep working so hard at this? So let's just let it ride for a while. And now two years later, the well is dry. Why? Because love is not static. Love is like a plant. If it's not constantly getting some water and sunshine, it's going to wilt and die. So it is with your love. Your love for each other in the past may have been something great, but if that love doesn't keep growing, it's soon going to fade away. So even for the Philippians, the Apostle Paul prays, may your love continue to abound more and more. But there's more to the prayer than that. He wants their love to grow, but he wants that love to grow in a specific way. So look at this with me. Philippians chapter 1, verse 9. The Apostle Paul says, this is my, this is my prayer for you you there in the church of Philippi, that your love, and he's not just talking about us as individuals, he's talking about them together as a church, that your love as a church, your love for God, your love for each other, your love for the people of this town, may that love abound more and more with knowledge and insight. Because 
if you've got the right kind of knowledge and the right kind of insight, you're going to be able to see what matters. You're going to be, see, be able to see what's essential. You're going to be able to see what's most important. You're going to be able to discern what is best. You see, we're not talking about a love that's mushy and gooey and sentimental. Sometimes it's not even a, a feeling at all. Sometimes it's just this wise, well-thought-out plan of action. I want to do something that's actually going to be beneficial for others like a carefully organized mission trip. Hey, we're only going to be in that country for a couple of days. Let's make our time there really count. Let's make sure we're prepared. Let's make sure that when we go to that country, we, we bring the right tools and we bring the right materials and we bring the right supplies so we can actually be a blessing to the people there and not a burden. See, this love is more than a passion. It always has a strategy behind it. I want to be able to help other people in a way that really counts. So when a man's hungry, I want to give him some food to eat. And somebody's lonely, I want to take time to sit down and talk to them and listen to them, begin to build a friendship. And somebody's down and discouraged, I want to lift their spirits, I want to help to encourage them. Or when my children are a bunch of spoiled brats, and if I really love them, what do I need to give them? I need to give them some discipline. So think about this. I bring the hungry man some food, and he really appreciates what I've done. I mean, he can see that I've been loving, and he's going to feel close to me. And when I take time to talk to that lonely person, I mean, I go out of my way just to sit down and visit with them. They're really going to appreciate that effort that I made to connect with them. They're going to see I've been loving, and they're going to feel close to me. But when I begin to discipline those spoiled brats, are they going to appreciate what I've done? Are they going to think that I've been loving? Are they going to feel close to me? Probably not. And yet what I'm doing is what they actually need. What I'm doing is what's actually best for them but there won't be any thanks for my effort. You see, this kind of love we're talking about, it's not easy. It's not easy, number one, because sometimes it always, isn't always easy to figure out, hey, what is the best thing here? And then number two, sometimes it's not easy because when you do what is best for others, they don't always appreciate it. Like when you have to move your father to a nursing home because you've seen it's not safe for him to be alone anymore. It's not wise for him to stay all alone in that house. You see it, he doesn't. So when it comes time to make the move, he's not going to be convinced that you're acting in a loving way towards him. Loving others is not easy. That's why we've got to be praying for God's help and praying this kind of prayer. God, I want to do what's best here. I need your knowledge. I need your insight so I can see what is best in your eyes. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. Have you ever heard somebody say, hey, I guess they're human. And what do we mean by that? We mean, well, somebody messed up. A man got drunk. A woman has an affair. And immediately we excuse their behavior and say, well, I guess they're human. As though being human is the same as failing? Being human is the same as sinning? No, I don't think so. Jesus was a human being. And in being human, he gave us a new picture, a new definition of what it really means to be human. I mean, originally, here's what God had in mind for all of us. It's not human to cheat on your spouse. It's not human to throw your money away on a bottle of booze. It's not human to have a slip of the tongue and color your language with a bunch of profanity. It's not human to lose your temper and kick the door just because things aren't going your way. No, it's Jesus. Jesus who shows us what it really means to be a human, way, a human being. Here's the way we were meant to live. So a father who used to throw his money away on that bottle of booze, now he becomes a disciple of Jesus. And because now he's following Jesus... Now he uses that money to send kids on a mission trip. Or a lady who used to throw her money away buying a bunch of lottery tickets. Now she becomes a disciple of Jesus. 
And because she's following Jesus, she wants to use her money in a wiser way. So she begins to buy Bibles for her grandchildren. She buys supplies for the church's VBS program. This is why when our missionaries travel to another country to share the gospel, they do more than just preach and teach. They dispense medicine. They, they build schools. They dig latrines. Why? Because it's not human for little boys and girls to be illiterate and poor and afflicted with all kinds of horrible diseases. It's not human for husbands to abuse their wives. So we build shelters for the battered spouses, and we call the police to arrest that angry man and restrain his violent behavior. It's not human for kids to torture animals or for ladies to pose naked on the Internet. So we write letters to our senators, and we organize referendums in our communities to help change the laws and make our town a better and safer place to live. You see, as Christians, we believe every square inch of this world still belongs to God. And so every day we're out there trying to reclaim the world for Him. Every day we are out to redeem and restore every square inch for His glory. But to do that, to be able to love the world that way, that's not easy. In fact, we can't do it by ourselves. We need the help of God. And in order to have the Lord's help, that means on a daily basis we've got to stay connected to Him. You know, scientists, scientists have always been intrigued, fascinated by the icebergs, those mighty icebergs you see out there in the North Atlantic. And what really intrigues them is this, that the icebergs move counter to the wind. I mean, you think about how strong, how powerful the winds are out there in the Atlantic Ocean. You would think it's the wind that would determine the course of the iceberg. It never happens. The iceberg always moves counter to the wind, always moves in the opposite direction what you, what you would expect. Why? Because the part of the iceberg we see that's there above the water is only a small part of what's actually there. Nine-tenths of the iceberg is hidden underneath the water, and it's the current of the water that moves the iceberg, not the prevailing winds. There's going to be so many times in our lives when God asks us as Christians to move in a direction that is counter to the prevailing trends and fads of the day. Our world is moving in one direction, but often God's going to ask us to go a different way. But in order to do that, in order to really be able to answer the call of God, that means there's got to be something deep down inside your life and mine. Something that God can actually get a hold of and work with and use and move. I'm talking about that part of our life that is hidden from public view. The heart, the soul, the very place where the Spirit of God was made to live and move. So you've got to ask yourself, is our life just simply all about the outward and the physical? But are, or are we, on a daily basis, taking time to feed the soul, to build and develop that life with God so that it's His love that inspires us and it's His wisdom that guides us and it's His power that keeps us stable and secure? You see, that's the atmosphere that we were made to live in. Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. The Bible says we're not only made by God, we were made for Him. We were made for a life with God. So are we, on a daily basis, inviting God to breathe His life into us? Let's pray. God, we're here today to celebrate You and what You've done, especially the way in which You've made this world. I mean, everything You make, everything You create is good and glorious, and we're part of that. We're a part of that creation. 
God, we realize today we're not here by accident. We're here because you wanted us to be here. We're here because you made us. And God, we're also here to celebrate your marvelous work of salvation. How many times have we been so foolish and gone astray? How many times have we been just downright rebellious and crossed the line and done things we knew were wrong? And yet, God, you never gave up on us. Never. Your love for us has been extraordinary. The extraordinary measures that you have taken in order to save and redeem our lives, God, we are here today to say thank you. But God, we're also here this morning to pray, continue that work of salvation. Even today, God, renew and restore your image in us. God, make us human again. God, use this moment, this moment, to breathe your life into us. And we pray for this in Jesus' name.